All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm very concerned about my digital privacy. I just realized how much I am giving up. They're getting access to data. It shouldn't just be a yes or no, agree or disagree. I've been having a lot of creepy internet experiences. I've said something out loud, and five seconds later, I see an ad about that. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and we are in the home stretch of the privacy paradox, our five-part plan to help you take back your digital identity and yourself. It's day four. Hopefully you feel like you understand more about where your information goes online. You've started weighing the trade-offs and making digital decisions that you can feel better about. Today, we're thinking about how people change their behavior when they know they're being watched with a guy who knows. My name is Elon Gale, and I'm the executive producer of The Bachelor. Yeah, That Bachelor, the reality show with a single guy in a mansion, surrounded by a bevy of young women who each try to charm him into choosing her as the one. And then they film the whole thing. There is one more rose left, and I don't know who it's going to be. Lace, will you accept this rose? (laughs) When Elon joined the show 10 years ago, reality TV was already normal, if you can use that word. And the selfie didn't even exist. I know. I actually came into reality TV at a time when people already were really used to just peering into other people's lives. I think the difference now is that it's no longer novel in concept. It's an expectation. I think people feel lied to if they don't have a bizarre amount of access into people's lives. Andy Warhol allegedly said, in the future, everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes. Yeah, well, hello, future. Every single one of us can perform on our own reality show on dozens of social media platforms. Pew Research reports that nearly 7 in 10 Americans now use social media. When the center first started tracking social media in 2005, just 5% of Americans used it. Nearly 9 out of 10 young adults use it today. And all those selfies, they take a lot of work. People are all constantly attempting to curate their perceived self. When you feel that someone is watching, what you do is you try to put out a version of you that is the one you want others to remember you as. And it's very rarely accurate because people do not come across the way they actually are. I mean, fine. No one wants to show the world what they look like first thing in the morning. 
unless they're using the hashtag WokeUpLikeThis. When we get validation online, when we get retweets or favorites or hearts or whatever, it feels so good. These platforms know it, so they keep that feedback coming. So we will keep coming back. And besides, isn't posting and sharing so much easier than lying there in bed thinking about all you need to do today? The problem is, online validation just makes you better at being a person online. It doesn't necessarily make you a better person in real life. Dr. Elias Abujude is a professor of clinical psychology at Stanford University. My research in the last decade or so has focused on the intersection of psychology and internet-related technologies. Rich terrain, for sure. People who study development from Mahler to Erickson to Jung, they've all stressed the importance of a process called individuation, which is a process by which we mature and become more independent by achieving a certain healthy separateness from one another. To put it in Oprah terms, individuation means finding your true, authentic self. But when we're always online, getting the healthy separateness you need to do that is almost impossible. From a psychological standpoint and in terms of mental well-being, there's an absolute necessity for a sacred space in your brain and in your life. Individuation assumes certain safeguards to privacy. You don't really possess yourself if you don't possess the facts of your life and the facts that make you who you are. How do you find that true self when nothing is private and everything is shared? Your age, address, family tree are all public knowledge. So we live in a world where everybody is in everybody else's business. And that, to a developmentalist, can look like development in reverse. That's not necessarily moving us in the direction of more mature behavior. But it's not our fault. The Internet's wiring seems to be doing something to our brain's wiring. We act in more disinhibited ways. The normal cortical controls that govern our behavior and that steer us toward doing the more measured, balanced, perhaps more right thing, those controls don't function in the same way online. Maybe posting things we didn't really mean to post, agreeing to things that we didn't even read. And while the action is virtual... That angst, Elias says, is very real for some. I have seen patients wishing they could take back something they very innocently shared. I've seen patients desperate to try to delete inaccurate information that somebody else said or posted about them. In Elon Gale's case, a few years ago, he posted something not so innocently. And with no regrets. It was almost like he and his online persona had morphed into one. Yeah, before I quit drinking, I was very drunk on a plane coming from New York. And I live-tweeted an argument with a woman who was fictional named Diane. In 7A, I called her for the story, and it went (laughs) viral. And... It ended with her slapping me, and there was notes passed back and forth, and it was aggressive and mean. And it was just me sitting by myself writing myself notes. 
notes that he drunk posted on Twitter as if they were really happening, looking for favorites and retweets. People were really both excited by it and horrified by it and angered by it. And I was just trying to have fun. I got a lot of very angry people who'd felt duped by me. About six months later, Elon decided to give up drinking, not because of the incident on the plane, but because his doctor told him he was killing himself. And ironically, despite having hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and Instagram, Elon felt completely alone. And he says this was not a bad thing. I needed to be alone. I needed to be sad. You know, rock bottom is not the worst place on earth. It's pretty good, actually. A lot of good things happen there. It was a private internal thing. It was a very, very dark time in my life. I didn't have anyone to turn to, really, to talk about it. I'm sure people would have been there, but I didn't feel close to anyone because I didn't feel close to myself. Elon gave up drinking. It's been two and a half years. And he's more prolific on social media than ever. But he's very conscious of what role it now plays in his life. Yes, he uses it to post behind-the-scenes shots of him jogging along the beach with the latest Bachelor. But he also uses it to talk about sobriety and to raise money for charities. And he doesn't care if people make assumptions about who he is or what he's about based on his Twitter feed. He's close to himself now. He's individuated, man. I'm wondering, Elon, if somebody listening to this is going to be like, well, that's really nice, but putting reality TV, making that the norm, objectifying women, all kinds of issues that maybe people have with reality TV, they may think that you are not helping in any way. You know, I've for years had people tell me who I am because of the first thing they heard about me or what they feel like my job is or what I do there, Mm. right? But they're only willing or interested in consuming the part of me that most immediately proves their point. And that's the kind of privacy that I have. Which brings us to today's challenge. We've talked about the performative aspects of being online, of me watching you watching me, which is why we want you to try this today. Be alone for 15 minutes. 15 minutes of fame. How about 15 minutes of anonymity? Close the window on your computer that has Twitter open, but then also close the shades on the real window and turn off your phone. What else is lurking at work or in your living room? A connected thermostat, sensors, CCTV? Throw a blanket over them. Find a place offline where no one can watch you. See if you can be really alone. But we'll be around on social media afterwards to talk. We want to know if you find it contemplative, annoying, difficult, or maybe just relaxing. Tell us what setting aside some private time feels like. Tomorrow, the last day, day five of the privacy paradox. The inventor of the World Wide Web is here, and he has a special request for your final challenge. And by the way, if you want more on the science and psychology of social media, Dr. Elias Abujude's book is called Virtually You, The Dangerous Powers of the E-Personality. 
The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Megan Kunane for all her production support. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. That's what I get out of it. I get to make a fun TV show that people really, really like. And I get to do it with interesting people, some that are really wonderful, some that are less wonderful, but all that are interesting and all that help me add to the body of knowledge I have about the people I share the earth with.